You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Talented host of the program with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. The show, as always, brought to you by Peterbrook Chocolatier out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. Get by and check out the chocolate lady and her outstanding staff. They'll take care of you. Maybe you have that special customized gift. You're looking for that special someone. They can handle it. Just tell them what you like. Maybe what you don't like, and Heather and the gang, they'll get you set. They'll get you ready to go at Peterbrook Chocolatier. Joined on the program by executive producer Joe Gaither, who together we combine to form the 60 minute boo of Sports Talk Radio. Joe Gaither, how was the weekend, my friend? Friend, Glad to have you back in the fold as well, although we appreciate and we enjoy our time with Tommy Paradise. Good to have you back. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a good weekend. Never long enough. Just took a short drive up to Birmingham to uh, do a little doctor's appointments. It was it was easy and fine. There you go. That's what we like to hear. Uh, clean bill of health yes, for exactly. everyone involved with Tide 100.9. And you, the listener out there as well. Uh, it was a good weekend around Casa de Ryer. Again, another one that was pretty low-key. You know, a lot of time spent. Maybe on that grill steak night on Saturday night. That's kind of become a tradition here in the middle of summer, 2020. Fire up that grill on Saturday nights. Do some uh, do some steaks. You know, the Publix, they had the boneless ribeyes on special, seared-y. So that was a good thing. We are able to get a couple of those. And then, you know, the chocolate lady, uh, she killed the Italian food last night. She did those stuffed shells with the ricotta. And the uh, ground beef, oof, unbelievable, unbelievable. It was a good weekend. Enjoyed it. A lot of sports from over the weekend. Spent a lot of time watching the pro golf on the cable. How about Justin Thomas, the 2012 Haskins Award winner as college golf's top performer for the Alabama men's team uh, eight years ago. Justin Thomas, following his win at the WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational over the weekend gets it done against Brooks Kepka, four-time major champion down the stretch. Justin Thomas adds $1.8 million to that career earnings total, which now is in excess of $37 million. That's just on the course for a guy who is 27 years old. Not bad to be JT, right? Also ascends, and he'll get a nice bonus for this, too. You know, these apparel and equipment contracts that these guys sign, there's incentives in them. So if you ascend to number one in the world, if you win a WGC event, if you win a major championship, there are kickers that go into effect. And I'm guessing that's the case with Justin Thomas following that win, his second in a WGC event. Uh, his 13th career win on the PGA Tua probably needs another major and about seven more wins total. And you're talking about Justin Thomas as a Hall of Famer 
in the world of golf. 205-342-9904. That is the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line. If you'd like to check in with us on this Monday morning, you are welcome to do so. It is a winners and losers Monday. We finally can get back to that. We had not had enough sports, really, to have a winners and losers Monday for four months now, right? Well, now we've got the NBA. Now we've got uh, the pro golf. We've got the Major League Baseball. You know, we're heading into the month of August. It is officially a month in which we are anticipating college football played in anger. Assuming that the Big 12 and its plan to get things going in week zero, that weekend of August the 26th or so, if we're able to get to that date, we're going to have live college football at the end of the month. I know you're excited about that. We'll talk about perhaps some formats that the SEC is looking to put into play where scheduling is concerned. Still waiting to hear from Greg and the crew over there in the ham. You know, what are those two extra games going to look like in this 10-game SEC-only schedule for the 2020 college football season? Inquiring minds want to know. It seems like for Alabama, anyway, you look around, and Florida – whether you're talking about rotational opponents that are next up for Alabama or even from the strength of schedule, competitive balance perspective. Florida seems like the common denominator of those two potential opponents for the Alabama Crimson Tide. You see Vanderbilt also in that mix in terms of the rotational approach. You see Missouri maybe more so if you talk about strength of schedule, competitive balance. Uh, So we're waiting. We're still waiting to see exactly how that's going to play out. Speaking of waiting, we're also on John Petty watch, right? It's happening today. John Petty, at some point before mid to late afternoon, is going to announce whether or not he's returning for his final season at the University of Alabama as a shooting guard for Nate Oates. Or is he going to go ahead? and take the plunge into the world of professional basketball. There's been some interesting decisions made here in the last couple of days, some names of note in the Southeastern Conference. When you talk about Isaiah Joe at the University of Arkansas, a guy who is very similar to John Petty. He's one of those guys in that 14 points per game range, one of those guys who can shoot the three at 40% or more. Isaiah Joe says he is coming back for another year with Eric Musselman and the Razorbacks. Arkansas got a chance to be pretty good with what they've got coming back in year two under Musselman. And so very much the same situation heading into year two for Nate Oates here in Tuscaloosa. You get John Petty back. You thought that team could score the basketball in year one under Nate Oates? That was with Kyra Lewis, too, and I get that. Kyra Lewis moving on to the National Basketball Association. But even with Lewis moving on, if you get Petty back to go with Herb Jones, Javon Quinterly, you look at some of these newcomers like Josh Primo, who some people are talking about in terms of a potential one-and-done as a combo guard, you know, you're going to be stout. Jaden Shackelford averaged 15 a game as a freshman last year. Scoring the basketball ain't going to be a problem, I don't. I don't think. You know, Jordan Bruner's going to give you some versatility in the post. The grad transfer from Yale. Uh, Keon Ellis coming in from the junior college ranks. Absolutely will be expected to provide some punch. I guess the bigger question you'll have with this team, whether Petty's back or not, is defensively. Can it improve in some areas? Because there was some inconsistency on that end of the floor in year one under Nate Oates. So we wait on John Petty as well. And, uh, again, a newsy week expected. It is Monday of the week that we anticipated fall camp getting underway across college football. Remember, we're in that phase of mandatory workouts right now where Thursday wraps another phase of those. You've had coaches involved. You've had footballs involved in what are supposed to be walkthroughs. Um. And so that finishes up on Thursday. And then August 7th, that was your established date when so many things had to be amended, adjusted, 
in the midst of the coronavirus, the COVID-19 pandemic. So we're awaiting word just from Alabama on exactly when practices are going to get underway, especially in the wake of the announcement that the season won't commence until September the 26th at the earliest. So, man, you talk about fluid. Everything, everything is right now. And you're continuing to see, in the National Football League anyway, opt-outs as you move into training camps across the league. Most recently, Christian Miller. Well, you got some Alabama linebackers for the 2020 season are opting out where the NFL is concerned. Christian Miller, former outside linebacker here in Tuscaloosa, really good edge pass rusher. Christian Miller has announced that he is opting out for the 2020 NFL season. He joins Dante Hightower and C.J. Mosley. So that's three former Alabama linebackers now that will sit out the 2020 season. You already heard also from Chance Warmack, Andre Smith, a couple of former Alabama offensive linemen. So that list grows. I think people are a little surprised. Joe, are you surprised that that number of opt-outs for NFL players has gotten into the, I think it's in the mid-40s now. And, you know, just the Patriots alone, we're talking about, what, seven or eight. Are you surprised by the number of opt-outs to this point? I am surprised, and I'm thankful that uh, my Chicago Bears only have one. But 40, mid-40s is kind of high uh, yeah. to be ta- – it, it kind of depends on what the player's situation. Uh, I, I am surprised, though, to answer your question simply. Yeah, it's not a matter of judging anybody. It's just, you know, a reaction to the number at this point. And we see also, do you see where our Jags, Joe Gaither, put Gardner Minshew on the COVID list today? Our starting quarterback, Gardner Minshew? Oof. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that he has tested positive for COVID-19. Doesn't mean he's symptomatic or sick. Just means something's happened. He's either been exposed to someone with the virus or... Uh, they have reason uh, to go ahead and put him on that COVID list. I would put him on that list just so he doesn't have to work behind that offensive line for as long as possible. That's a that's a big problem down there with our Jacksonville Jaguars. Matt Stafford, by the way, of the Detroit Lions, you talk about quarterbacks in the NFL who have been moved to that COVID list. Uh, Matt Stafford among that group as well. But we do have winners and losers on a Monday coming up in our next segment. I'm going to talk to a familiar voice, a very familiar voice to yours truly, the oldest daughter, Savannah Ryer, fresh from a collegiate basketball career that took her from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, in an outstanding program headed up by Madonna Thompson at Shelton State Community College after two years under Madonna that saw those teams go 70-4. and four and post back-to-back third-place tur- uh, 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 finishes at the NCAA, at the NGACAA Division One tournament out in Lubbock, Texas. Savannah moved on to the University of Hawaii. You listen to the show. I'm sure you're aware of that. Uh, where she had two really good years, enjoyable years, with the Rainbow Wahine. Uh, a couple of teams that really had a chance to make runs at NCAA tournament bids, came up about three minutes short of an NCAA tournament appearance two seasons ago, lost in the championship game of the Big West tournament out in Anaheim, California. And then, of course, this most recent season, when their opening round game in the Big West tournament, the next day they find out, like everyone else across college athletics, college basketball at that point, that postseason tournaments and even the NCAA tournaments were going to be canceled. So, missed some opportunities there by just a little bit, but want to get Savannah's thoughts on this topic that's been burning extremely hot here in the last few days, and that's the emerging voice of the college student-athlete. You saw it over the weekend with the Pac-12 and some of those student-athletes in that league talking about a potential boycott if demands weren't met by the league, you know, and this isn't this isn't meant as sort of a batting practice session against leagues like the Pac-12 or the SEC or the NCAA. This isn't a woe is me type segment. From a parental standpoint, 
of a dad of a child who had a great experience, both at the junior college level and at the NCAA Division One level. I've got, me personally, I've got no complaints. Now, I didn't live it every day. And I think the vast majority of Savannah's thoughts on her experience are extremely positive. Does that mean there isn't fixes that need to take place? No, of course. And I think what you saw with the Pac-12 and those student athletes is, I think a lot of it the NCAA is going to look at, or the Pac-12 is going to look at, and tell a lot of those folks, look, name, image, and likeness, and the one-time transfer rule. Those two things are coming on board here in the next six to eight months, and that's going to have to do for the most part. You're going to be able to benefit off your name, your image, your likeness financially. Um, you're going to have more freedom of movement if you're not happy in your particular circumstance. You're going to be able to move to the next stop at one time, free of charge, essentially, without paying the price of a year of eligibility as a sit-out. So those are going to be the things that are coming into play. And in reading those demands, I think that covers some of what the Pac-12 student-athletes are pushing for. The 50% revenue split, good luck with that. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen for the simple fact that you have Title IX. So whereas you can talk about, well, if you're in a sport like football or men's basketball, you know, the players should get 50% of that revenue. Well, that what about the rest of your department? You know, how are you going to make that work? And also, you start getting into revenue splits. And this isn't crying poor for places like Alabama or Power 5 programs, okay? That's not what this is. I understand. Tens of millions of dollars a year go into the coffers at places like UA. Also have big expenses. You got to talk about that too. They spend a lot of money to compete at the level that they do at places like Alabama. You see it in the form of the buildings that go up on a regular basis over off Bryant Drive. Most recently, the Sports Science Center. And with that, you'll have Alabama people, coaches, administrators tell you, no one invests in student athletes at the level like we do at Alabama. That's what you'll be told. And I don't argue that. I don't dispute that at all. The other side of that, critics are going to say, well, maybe take some of that money and compensate compensate players. You know, that's going to be the other side of that argument. As a parent, again, of a recently graduated Division One student athlete who was on a full athletic scholarship at the University of Hawaii, I don't really have any complaints. Was it scot-free? Did, was everything covered? No, but it also was covered enough that our kid graduated with a degree and no debt. So I'll take that. Now, look, our personal situation, there's no doubt about it. Savannah comes from a situation of privilege far more than I would guess. She had 12 teammates at the University of Hawaii in terms of her privilege she was in the top 10%. I don't have any doubt about that. So there's that side of it too. But we'll get into some of that with Savannah coming up here in just a little bit. We're going to step aside to our first break. When we come back, it will be Savannah Ryer. We'll go around the horn with her uh, in relation to her experiences as not only a Division One scholarship student athlete, but also making that transition from the junior college level, has a unique perspective from that vantage point. We'll do that and more when Southern Fried Sports returns on a Monday on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. Play down. Partly to mostly sunny this afternoon, just a small chance of a shower through the evening hours. The high today, 91. Tonight's low, 69. The weather looking rain-free tomorrow and Wednesday. Lots of sunshine both days. Highs between 88 and 91. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app. The Crimson Tide!
situation as clean as you possibly can, then you need Houston Hydrosteam working for you. They're going to take care of all the carpet, all the rugs, all the tile, all the grout, all the upholstery. They're going to get it first class clean at Houston Hydrosteam. 205-553-9460. Houston Hydrosteam, quality work you can stand on. It is my pleasure now to head to the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line. And welcome on a special guest to the program. How about Savannah Ryer, the oldest daughter, the middle child in the Ryer brood here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, fresh from her collegiate basketball career that took her from Shelton State Community College right here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, all the way out to the island of Oahu and the University of Hawaii, where she spent the last two years with the Rainbow Wahine. How about it, Savannah? How's this? Uh, how's this downtime for a change working for you? <laughs> Thanks for having me, but it's actually been pretty nice. Um, when you go from going, going, going since pretty much kindergarten to um, a long break, it's it's actually pretty nice for uh, a lot of reasons. But um, I definitely am trying to get back into a routine and everything. Just uh, nowadays, uh, one of the things, by the way, I was meant to, uh, I was asked to ask you right out the gate, how would you rate pops as a grandfather? Uh, because people hear <laughs> pops on this program and it's hard for them to sort of envision or imagine even what it would be like to have him as your grandfather. What, uh, where does he stack up? How does he stack up in that regard? First and foremost, Savannah. For me, on a 10 out of 10 scale, he's probably like an 11, just for wow. my personality. Um, I I enjoy it, and he's really entertaining, and um, I just, I don't know. We've always gotten along, so for me, he's great. For others, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now, you two kind of have a relationship where, you know, you're a bit of his nemesis, you know, but I get the sense that that he kind of likes that. You two, uh, the give and take is pretty stout there between you and Pops. Yeah, I think that um, he likes that I can handle, you know, the criticism or the uh, always nagging and making funny comments towards me and vice versa. So I think that's why we kind of have a love-hate relationship. <laughs> I think he also... Uh, I think I think you also get a kick out of reminding him that you are in fact uh, a couple inches taller than he is. Yes, uh, for I, sure. I think you uh, I think you get a lot of enjoyment out of that with pops. I do. Um, you me- you mentioned that you know it's sort of a decompression time for you, and you know it's interesting because I think people, fans, media, even we look at college student athletes and we think about kind of the the glamour involved, even. Uh, if it's not the the power five blue blood sort of level uh, at the mid-major, at the FBS level, at the group of five level, which is where you competed at the University of Hawaii, look, it's still a good life, right? No one's saying that you guys and gals aren't treated well as scholarship athletes on the division one level. But yeah, we were talking about this this morning and there's that perception that it's a four-year type of quest when in reality you hit on it this was something that essentially took you from five years old to 22 so uh just the grind involved i guess is the thing maybe that most folks aren't privy to as you as you move to that level yeah i mean i think that a lot of people see us obviously staying in the nice hotels and getting fed for free um and they look at that and 
they don't understand necessarily like the, like you said, the grind that goes into it and how much um, effort and work and just time and it's mental and physically like it's, it's a complete grind and I feel like student athletes earn every bit of it. And I think we deserve to be treated like that. Um, And so I'm really thankful that obviously I had a good experience as far as, um, the lifestyle I got to live while I was there, but that's not to say that we didn't earn that lifestyle um, just with all the travel and and the practices and the 6 a.m. weights and all those things. So I definitely think that's hard for people to see when you're on the outside, but, um, you know, that's part of us having a voice as athletes is to be able to um, express that and just get people to understand more so that they're a little more compassionate about the requests that are made um, from student-athletes. Now, during your two years at the University of Hawaii, you served on UH's Student-Athlete Advisory Council, I believe it was. So mm-hmm. you were pretty much selected to have a voice where the women's basketball program was concerned, not only within the athletic department at UH. I know you also traveled to California for a Big West sort of seminar and uh, conference uh, that brought uh, student athletes like yourself from the different member schools together. And what was your biggest emphasis that you maybe tried to promote uh, during your time in that role uh, that, that could help maybe these these young people, these student athletes more than then again, maybe a lot of us on the outside realize it could. Yeah, my biggest push was for mental health and just access to resources in order to um, just keep a fresh mental health, I guess, because when you do it for so long um, and then you get to the collegiate level and and you're practicing every day and there's a pressure involved uh, because it is a business to perform and just to – hide your emotions and to enter every day with like a great attitude. Um, I really push for mental health because people don't realize how much of a toll that collegiate athletics, especially at the division one level. And even when I was at Shelton can take on you. Um, and so I really pushed for that. And we had just had um, a tragic uh, student athlete death within our athletic department at Hawaii. So it was really fresh on my mind. Uh, and I just saw a lot of things that I thought could be improved um, through that experience. So it was awesome to be able to voice that and to have a platform um, to be able to do that and to not have consequences or judgment passed by anybody because we're all there for the same goal and it's to give student athletes a voice and to really like actually hear what's being said and the concerns we have. So it was a great experience. You know, you mentioned mental health and, you know, the the privacy concerns that the stigma that there still is in our society, especially when it comes to big, strong, fast, seemingly invincible athletes at the high levels. Um, Is that a big problem for for student athletes, in your opinion, in terms of uh, seeking out help and maybe not feeling a, I don't know, a sense of shame about it and, and feeling like, you know, your privacy is being protected. I know we have HIPAA laws and things like that, but, you know, from that perspective is, do you see that as a big problem with, even when there is help presented and available to student athletes, getting them to sort of overcome the anxiety just in taking that first step and putting themselves out there, so to speak, uh, it, it, I guess can be difficult to overcome in and of itself. Yeah, I definitely think that it is an issue as far as getting athletes to get help. Um, at a lot of schools, you have the resources presented to you, like, hey, we have a counselor on campus you can go see. Um, but there's never actually, like, not, they can't force you to get therapy or to do anything like that, obviously, but, um, there's, there's not as much of a push, I feel like, as there should be for athletes to acknowledge, like, hey, I do go through a lot on a daily basis, and 
it's okay for me to reach out and to talk to someone outside of the athletic department because within the athletic department, the goal is obviously to be as successful as possible. And obviously a lot of times they do care about their student athletes, but I don't think that it's always recognized when a student athlete truly needs help. And if it was just pushed more as far as like, let's normalize this and let's make this a thing that, you know, everyone can have access to and everyone feels comfortable, whether you're a male, female football player or a gymnast, like everyone should be able to feel comfortable reaching out. And I think that's where the issue comes in is that, like you said, a lot of athletes um, compartmentalize the way they feel just because that's how we grew up. Um, If you showed, you know, weakness or tears or whatever it may be, it's like, hey, you need to get it together. Uh, Like we're playing a game or like you can't show emotion in practice. Like you're not allowed to have a bad day. And so I think a lot of times we learn to just push those feelings aside instead of actually acknowledge and validate the way we feel um, and get that help that, you know, I'd say a majority of student athletes need. I think I'm as guilty of it as a parent as some of these coaches are that we consistently hear the phrase, what mental toughness, mental toughness, be tough. Uh, We've had those conversations throughout the years. I think that is in fact, one of the biggest reasons why you achieved to the level you did in athletics, but there is that other side to it. Um, And sort of the, the, the narrative that gets pushed in that message is to, as you said, compartmentalize issues rather than deal with them sort of on a consistent basis and not have this, uh, you know, potential wreck down the road as, as they become, you know, and they, they accumulate and become a, a bigger issue. Um, so your perspective I know is different because you went from a very good junior college program, one of the top five in the country right here at Shelton State under Madonna Thompson. So, you know, look, this wasn't some rural, out in the middle of nowhere, Division Three JUCO that you came from. As good as it can be done on the junior college level, Shelton State, Madonna Thompson, Kara Crossland, the athletic director, they do it as good as you can do it um, mm-hmm. within the rules. Um, but still, obviously uh, – a change, you know, going into it and, and getting to that level and sort of experiencing it initially, how much did your kind of viewpoint of the treatment of student athletes change between your arrival at that level and maybe the time that you went out? I'm guessing that going into it, you may have looked at some of your new teammates and thought, man, these kids are spoiled. You know, they've got all this great stuff, but, but perhaps over the two years, you you grew to learn that, yeah, there are some things that need to be worked on, even at this level. Right, yeah. I think starting out at a JUCO, obviously the resources are a lot um, thinner. And the biggest thing for me there um, that made it a much easier transition was the fact that, like, every day it was consistent. Madonna Thompson is probably one of the most consistent people I've ever met, and I'm really thankful to have spent two years in that program because, I was able to carry that into my journey at Hawaii. And when I got to Hawaii, um, you know, like you said, I was like, wow, like we have someone that does our laundry for us. Like we have someone that makes us meals every morning during season or like we're staying in these four or five star hotels. And at Juco, we were staying in, you know, one to two stars if we stayed overnight. Most of the time we were driving back late night and then practicing again the next day. Um, So there was a difference as far as the experience goes, like luxury-wise, but um, I found that it's kind of crazy because I feel like the resources to mental health and just, like, how many athletes deal with it are far greater at a Division One than it is at a JUCO. And a lot of that has to do with consistency and just the program you're in, obviously. But um, I feel like you know, the money that Division ones have, and I know not every Division one has money, but the money that they do have that they don't use um, could be spent more on mental health for student-athletes and just the development overall of a student-athlete. 
Um, so yeah, there was a big eye opener there as far as like, wow, there are things to work on and division one is great, but it's not everything that people make it out to be. Um, unless you're at those big, I mean, Alabama has great resources and I've talked to former teammates that have played there and seen what they have. Um, so it's interesting to compare and to also like be able to voice that and, um, contribute back to the university that did give me so much. We're seeing and hearing from student athletes across the country. Most recently, the PAC 12 conference, um, you're, you're hearing, uh, you know, demands in, in terms of, uh, public, uh, health where the COVID-19 virus is concerned, ensuring the safety and well-being of student athletes, uh, in the midst of a pandemic, uh, you're also hearing demands in terms of uh, social and racial injustice, uh, student-athlete exploitation. Um, do you think this was all sort of coming to a head already, or do you think this year in which we've experienced a pandemic, which we've experienced uh, the killings of uh, Aubrey Ahmad and, and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and and those things have kind of come together to, to, to put us to the head of this situation. Um, the voice of the student athlete in general, Savannah, it seems like it's, it's more prominent than ever. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. And I know that this pandemic has been really tragic for so many people. And, um, as, as well as the social injustices that are happening in our country, Um, but I do think that this is the perfect time for athletes to speak out because of these things that are happening. Um, all eyes are on, you know, the news and athletes and trying to get sports going again. Um, and there's a different level of consequences that come with it. I feel like once you're in a program and, you know, there's not really like that reason to speak out, um, you'd be the odd one out speaking against your program or against your university because everyone just knows it's kind of an unsaid rule with athletes. So it's like you don't really speak out because you don't want the consequences that come with it. Um, but right now there's, you know, obviously issues with health and just injustice for black student athletes everywhere um, and things that haven't been dealt with in the past. So, to speak out right now is honestly perfect timing, and I'm super glad that athletes are having uh, the chance to do that because there are issues and they do need to be acknowledged. So I think right now is just um, obviously everything coming to a head, but I don't think there could be a better timing as far as for people to listen and to actually acknowledge what's going on. Reports here in the last 24 hours involving, speaking of the University of Hawaii, the uh, the ex-head coach of the Rainbow Warriors, Nick Rolovich, uh, at Washington State now is the successor to Mike Leach, who of, a cor- of, who of course is now at Mississippi State, that perhaps, according to a recorded conversation between Rolovich and one of his players at Washington State, um, he essentially discouraged uh, this student-athlete from being a part of this We Are United movement that we're seeing uh, from the Pac-12 here over the weekend. Um, Do you you think that's prevalent in college athletics, whereas we'll see coaches on social media or we'll see them at events, we'll see them publicly in support of movements that their players are – very much passionate about, but then perhaps, but behind the walls of the facility, maybe it's actually being discouraged for the players to get out in front and be in the forefront where those matters are concerned. Do you, you think there's a sort of a contradiction going on between what we see publicly and maybe what's being uh, sort of influenced in the facilities? I definitely think that there is some, um, issues in that area just from past experiences but also 
speaking to current student-athletes right now at different schools, um, you see a lot of coaches that will tweet out, like, I'm in support of this, I'm in support of that. But then how much are they doing within their community or with their student-athletes, whether it's seminars, trainings, um, anything? How much are they doing besides, oh, let's go to weights, like 6 a.m. weights. We have practice at this time, like, I don't know how much of that is being done at most schools right now. I think everyone's speaking out because they're obviously trying to save face. Um, but I think that, you know, there is probably a lot of that going on around the country. And it's just, it's not just now. Like, this has been happening um, all four years that I've been in college. And I've had different experiences from other people, but I know situations that have happened. Um, where a coach does speak out saying that they're in support of athletes, but then behind closed doors um, there's consequences for uh, those words or those actions. So I definitely agree that there's some issue there, and it's not just probably Nick Rolovich at Washington State. Um, It doesn't excuse it, but it also is happening probably all across the country. So it's definitely an issue. Well, Sav, we appreciate the time, and uh, we always appreciate you uh, joining us here on Tide 100.9 FM. I know you've been on with Gary Harris in the past as well, and, of course, we wish you nothing but the best moving forward. Thanks, Sav. Thank you. There she goes, Savannah Ryer. Some interesting comments from someone with some a very recent perspective where the life of student-athletes at the division one level are concerned. And again, you know, she's not as her father. I'm not looking for any type of sympathy or anything like that. In total, the experience was outstanding, but she earned it every bit of it, if not more. And that's not just in terms of her work ethic, her passion, what she put into it from a time perspective, what she sacrificed in terms of social life and things like that. She made that choice. She gets it. I get it. But she also paid prices emotionally and physically to do what she did. And we couldn't be more proud of her. Going to head to a break. We come back. More of Southern Fried Sports on a Monday, presented by Peter Brook Chocolates here on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. Partly to mostly sunny this afternoon, just a small chance of a shower through the evening hours. The high today, 91. Tonight's low, 69. Weather looking rain-free tomorrow and Wednesday. Lots of sunshine both days. Highs between 88 and 91. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. The flagship station for Alabama Crimson Tide football. Alabama touchdown. Only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. Thanks again to Savannah Ryder, former member of the Rainbow Wahine and the Lady Bucks of Shelton State Community College right here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Awesome. I know. Between her and Pops, man, we're going to go broke because, you know, I talked about this Friday. Pops' people have already contacted me about a licensing issue with the new T-shirts that we have there at Tide 109.com. You know, he wants he wants a cut. His people are already hitting me up about that. So between Pops and Sav, we're going to go broke here on the program. Thankfully, though, we have added a new sponsor to the program in Chase's Residential and Commercial Cleaning, Yashika Barnes, just an outstanding Outstanding individual to get to know. She is the CEO and major domo of Chase's residential and commercial cleaning. Give her a call at 205-886-3616. She's going to make sure your home and our office are immaculate. We're big on cleanliness here on the program. Have you picked up a theme yet? Well, it continues with Chase's residential and commercial cleaning. 
We've experienced the great work there by Chase's at Casa de Ryer. You cannot beat it. You know, dependability is always a major obstacle when it comes to home services, when it comes to personal services, right? Just getting that person, getting that company you can count on week in or week out. Maybe it's every couple weeks that you need those services. Well, I can tell you, with Yashica Barnes and Chase's residential and commercial cleaning, you can count on them. You can depend on Chase's to not only be there on a consistent basis, but do an outstanding job in your home and or your business. 205-886-3616. Over 20 years of quality cleaning service. That's Chase's residential and commercial cleaning. Let's head back to the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line at 205-342-9904 and check in with Corey on this Monday morning. Corey, how are you doing? Hey, Travis. How are you doing this afternoon? I am doing great, my man. Just waiting on John Petty, like everybody else. Yeah, uh, we'll see what decision he makes. Uh, see if we can get him to come back to Alabama or if he decides to go to the NBA. But I wanted to ask you this. Whatever the schedule comes out for Alabama, how do you think the schedule will help or hurt Alabama in a way of if we do stay at the football season or if we do, like, whichever way the schedule says, how do you think, like, say we have a full season, how do you think the schedule could help and hurt Alabama? Yeah, you know, I, I talked about this in the opening segment, Corey. I, I, it sounds like Florida is the name you continue to hear in relation to the potential uh, with the two opponents from the SEC that are going to come on to the schedule, whether you consider the rotational aspect of it or strength of schedule, competitive balance, it just seems like Florida, you know, that drumbeat with the Gators coming on board for the Crimson Tide is, has been pretty consistent. And, you know, I think in any scenario, Alabama has, I've said it before, Alabama has a college football playoff roster. Uh, assuming that roster stays in place now with the potential for opt-outs I don't think that's as much of a possibility as some folks do and I've done some math on this and you know there's over 10,000 FBS football players and about 100 of those I would consider to be individuals that have some leverage uh, whether you're talking about boycott or opting out because of the virus, things like that. And I say 100 because there's 100 football players that qualify as sort of top three-round picks for the NFL. And so that's 1% of your base. And look, maybe it happens at Alabama. Maybe it happens at other places around the SEC. I guess I'm just not forecasting that maybe in the numbers that some folks – are anticipating. So if we take that into consideration and all things are equal, I think Alabama, if Florida comes on the schedule, uh, Alabama is still the better football team than Florida. And you also consider this, if we are going to have limited capacities, right? And that's what we look to be trending towards, maybe 20,000, maybe fewer, depending on how the numbers go here in the coming weeks. If you're Nick Saban, you don't mind going to the swamp. You don't mind going to Florida Field in Gainesville if that's, in fact, how it plays out and playing Florida in front of ten or 20,000 fans. You know, I, that, that would seem to be an advantage to Alabama, in my opinion. Just like having Georgia in here and only having fifteen or 20,000 fans would be a, a disadvantage. But just as far as the roster goes and the quality of the personnel and the fact that Alabama also has continuity in its coaching staff, for the first time in a few years, um, you know, I, I think Alabama is, is is a team that even in a 10-game SEC schedule can can sort of run the table there. How confident do you feel in Alabama landing to Quentin McKinstry? You know, we talk with Hank South about that a lot. We talk about Kool-Aid a lot with Hank here on the program, recruiting analyst for us there at BamaOnline.com. Hank feels pretty good. I know Hank's confident in that, but Hank will also tell you he's not sure if Jaquincy even knows at this point, the outstanding cornerback, five-star prospect from Pinson Valley High School. And also there's basketball in that thing with Kool-Aid. I mean, he's legitimately going to take a shot at the two-sport thing 
at the Power Five level. And so, you know, you have to consider that with Alabama's primary competitors there, both Auburn and LSU. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, if it was just football, I think Alabama would be a no-doubter. But because you have basketball, we know what Bruce Pearl's been doing at Auburn as well as Will Wade at LSU. And with LSU just coming off the national championship and their history of developing defensive backs, and not saying Alabama not going to be able to develop defensive backs, but LSU has a better track record. There's, there's some things that Alabama has to work against, but I think Alabama has a good chance because it's an even in-state prospect, and Nick Saban always lands good, good defensive players because he coaches defensive backs. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about NFL All-Pros here in the last, what, three or four years, what are you talking about? Eddie Jackson, Minka Fitzpatrick, Marlon Humphrey? Um, that's pretty good ammo on the recruiting trail if you're looking to land a, a prospect, a talent like DeQuincy McKinstry. Thanks a lot, Corey. We'll catch up with you again soon. That's going to do it for a Monday edition of Southern Fried Sports presented by Peter Brook Chocolates here. Thanks again to Savannah Ryer for joining us on the program. Corey checking in there as well. Joe Gaither and the crew doing an outstanding job of producing the program. The Lunch Whistle on this Monday. Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. Get by there. That Yardbird chicken sandwich will take care of your case of the Mondays, the Tuesdays, the Wednesdays, uh, whatever your case of the week is. Southern Ale House can help you with that. That's going to do it until 11 a.m. on Tuesday. Have a great rest of your Monday, everybody. Thank you.